Hey, Crack fans. Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Crack Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, June 28th, day two of the 2022 Wimbledon, officially in the books. On today's show, we recap all of the action that, simply put, was too good to be round one at a major. Of course, it always helps to have 70-plus singles matches on the day, some of day one's round one affairs bleeding over into today's play as such. So, so many different matches for us to touch on on today's show. Of course, headlining it all was the return of seven-time Wimbledon singles champion, 23-time Grand Slam singles title winner Serena Williams making her return to the court. Unfortunately, she comes up just short, dropping a 7-6 deciding set to Harmony Tan was a fantastic battle between both players. And obviously on today's show, I want to talk about A, what allowed Harmony Tan to end up in the winner's circle, but B, about what it means to have Serena Williams back on court. And even though she comes up just short, her presence, mere presence in the draw sent an electricity across the ground, certainly throughout the course of the match that is just unmatchable right now throughout all of tennis. Of course, it wasn't just Serena stealing the show. You had so many different highlight matches throughout the course of the day, whether it be Rafael Nadal surviving Yes, surviving a four-set affair against Francisco Sarundolo. Want to talk about the things Rafa needs to improve on if he wants to keep his hopes for the calendar slam alive. Yeah. That's right, folks. It finally sunk in today. Rafa can still win the calendar slam. And perhaps some of you listeners have already come to that realization. Certainly were aware of the fact that he won the first two Grand Slam singles titles of this season. But just feels that much more real on a day where we saw 
Matteo Berrettini. Forced to withdraw becomes the second significant seed in this section of the draw alongside of Marin Cilic to test positive for COVID. A stark reminder that we are playing these Grand Slams amidst a pandemic. And unfortunately, Matteo Berrettini tests positive for COVID. Forced to withdraw. He was last year's finalist. A guy who's lost three grass court matches since 2019. Won two titles in the lead up to Wimbledon on the grass courts this season. He was in Nadal's half of the draw. He is now out of the tournament. Of course, Hubie Hercot's already eliminated. Again, Chilich eliminated after he tested positive for COVID. It just feels that much more real for Rafael Nadal, particularly after watching him navigate his way through a hard-fought four-set victory against Sarandolo. Again, want to break down the mechanics of that match on today's show. Then we have to talk about a rising Maxime Cressy. Knocks off FA in four sets. Was a finalist last week on the grass courts. Continue his relentless serve and volley, aggressive tactics throughout the course of today's match. So much respect for what Maxime Cressy has done. We'll talk about it on today's show. Talk about three set survivals from Coco Goff, Petra Kvitova, two players certainly considered contenders entering this 2022 Wimbledon. But then, of course, we have to get to the contender of all contenders, Iga Svantec, who looked exceptional in her first match during this grass court season. Of course, Svantec, straight set victory, drops just three games in her first round win. Want to talk about her, a successful Paula Bedosa, Simona Halep, who maybe was the most impressive player of the day in her straight set victory over Karolina Mukova. We'll get into that. Talk about the other men's seeds who looked exceptional on day number one. Two, and yes, there were plenty of them. Certainly the five-set survivors like Denis Shapovalov on the day. We'll get into Tsitsipas, four-set win over former UVA national champ Alex Richard. Talk about all of the matches and so much more on today's show. I'll name once again my favorite matches of day three at the end. Of course, if any of you listeners are looking for preview content every evening on the Great Shot podcast feed, I offer my picks for each day at the 2022 Wimbledon. Of course, my ace of the day selections, my official formal picks for each and every day. But on those Great Shot Podcast ace of the day segments, I try to run through each of the day's matches discuss at least who I consider the favorite in every singles match on the day. And then, of course, look for value via our friends at DraftKings in offering my picks. But all of that content available on the Great Shot podcast feed and on our website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, we'll have recaps of this 2022 Wimbledon each and every day here on the Mini Break podcast. The reason we're able to do that, of course, because of the support we get from all of you listeners day in, day out. You're tired of hearing me say it on each one of these podcasts sincerely so grateful that you all continue to tune in always so fun to see the bump we get in the grand slams and with so many fans paying attention in these moments we know it's our obligation at cracked rackets to keep you informed keep you educated keep you up to date on again the 70-plus matches that can happen in a single day on the grounds of a Grand Slam. So, so grateful all of you continue to tune in, share it with your friends. Of course, any feedback you have, feel free to throw it wherever you leave your reviews on your various podcast platforms, or feel free to reach out to us at Crack Rackets, at A.L. Gruskin, if you'd like to speak with me directly, of course. A massive shout-out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support of this podcast as well. They recognize the need for a daily show to capture all the nuances 
fans of the tennis world were so grateful for that fact and grateful for their support of tennis players everywhere as they provide the best equipment at the lowest prices. Of course, if you are looking for anything to update the finer features of your game, go to tennis-point.com today. You use our promo code CR15 when you do make a purchase. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. If you have any questions, by the way, about that Tennis Point promo code, again, feel free to reach out on social media at Cracked Rackets, at AL Gruskin. But again, we are immensely grateful for the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into day two at the 2022 Wimbledon. We have to start with Serena Williams. And of course, if you listen to our Cracked Rackets preview podcast of the 2022 Wimbledon, you heard us discuss Serena on a couple of shows, whether it be our discussion about our Dark Horse candidates entering the tournament, whether it be in our draw preview. The mere presence of Serena Williams elevates the sport elevates the importance, the significance, and the entertainment of any tournament she decides to participate in. And all of us were anticipating and excited for this matchup today. I imagine when the numbers come out for the tournament, ESPN will indicate that this match between Serena and Harmony Tan, who right now is ranked outside the top 100 of the WTA singles rankings, this will be a top five watched match throughout the course of the 2022 tournament. There was a buzz in the atmosphere of center court watching Serena Williams play, particularly when they closed the roof. Again, how many iconic matches has Serena Williams played on that Wimbledon center court? And just, again, her competitive nature, her charisma on court, her undeniable enthusiasm and passion with which she plays. And again, Serena Williams is in herself just an experience as a fan to enjoy and to cherish, and certainly Serena Williams was not at her best in today's match. You look for Serena Williams overall. The numbers, you know, not horrible. 61 winners against 54 unforced errors. She made 66% of her first serves, won 63% of her first serve points. Actually, I thought moved fairly well throughout the course of the match, but there was some sloppiness for Serena Williams throughout the course of this match. You look for Harmon Tan, who ultimately won 64% of her first serve points, went 52 of 81. I wonder how many of those 52 uh, points won on the first serve were off of Serena Williams' unforced errors on the return of serve. And look, there were plus one forehands for Serena Williams that were just a little bit off. That, of course, in 2012 or 2017, 2019, she's crushing for winners, but she hasn't played a match since last season for 40 years old, we can all understand why a lack of match play would lead to some sloppiness in the game of Serena Williams. That said, for Serena throughout the course of the first set, came out making 61% of her first serves, but again, was really struggling with her footwork in finding the plus one forehand, was struggling with her footwork when Harmony Tan, who throughout the course of this match employed the slice forehand and slice backhand and was just throwing junk at Serena Williams, trying to prevent her from hitting anything in the strike zone. Again, Serena Williams had five breakpoint chances in the first set. You know, Harmony Tan only made 49% of her first serve. Serena Williams uh, winning 
or winning 14 of 24 points on her second serve return yet. I imagine nine of the 10 points Harmony Tan won on her second serve or missed returns in that first set. And it was just little things that piled up. But then, of course, if you watched the match, those first two, three games of the second set, Serena seemed to find her bearings. Pushes, you know, again, Harmony Tan in that opening service game, gets the break, then ultimately holds in a tough service hold. And was off and running and, you know, again, runs away with a 6-1 second set. And then despite giving the break back after she secured an early break in set number three, Serena Williams served for the match up 5-4 in that third set. Now, she didn't get to match point and credit to Harmony Tan, who not only employed a smorgasbord of junk throughout the course of this match, the forehand slices, the drop shots, the short angles, but was exceptional on the run. Uh, Again, her passing shots constantly pressured Serena, dipped that first passing shot low at Serena's feet. And to Serena's credit, she came up with some extraordinary uh, gets. For someone who hasn't played a match in a year and who's coming off of a significant ankle injury, I thought her movement forward in this match was fairly uncompromised. It was the lateral movement, the side-to-sides where Serena got a little bit in trouble. But even then, if she got her racket on the ball, she's just so strong, such an incredible athlete that she was able to do, you know, do enough with that ball that Harmony Tan, who is not particularly aggressive, you know, would at least fire a neutral ball back and Serena would be back in the rally. But look, Harmony Tan played a steady match, 29 winners against 28 unforced errors, 20 of 29 at the net when she had the opportunity to move forward. Serena floated a slice. She did move forward to take some time away from Serena. Now, to Serena's credit, 42 of 67 at the net. And even after Serena was broken at 30-40 on a nice passing shot, but a tentative approach from Serena Williams on that 30-40 point, she still went up for love in that third set breaker. And that's when the Serena magic set in, where it just felt like, you know, A, she fight. I, I should say Serena Williams down 5-6, down a match point. You know, Harmony Tan plays a very tentative match point, chips a couple of forehands. Serena ultimately goes forehand down the line, then puts the point away with a high forehand put away volley. It was impressive tennis from Serena Williams to fight off that match point, earns the hold, the fourth, the breaker. Now she's up four love in the breaker, and it just felt like everything was clicking. The stadium was buzzing. She had all of the momentum, and Harmony Tan just kept scrapping and clawing. And let's be clear. And say the thing out loud that we're all thinking. 2013 Serena Williams, 2017, 2019, again, all these earlier vintages of Serena crushes Harmony Tan in this match. Harmony Tan didn't have a weapon to hurt Serena with. This match was on Serena's racket. And in that second set, when she found her rhythm, she made Harmony Tan pay. But again, the slices, the chips... The pace with which Harmony Tan played point in, point out, despite the match being at on Serena Williams' racket, it was played on Harmony Tan's pace. And I know Serena made 66% of her first serves in the match, won 63% of her first serve points. But she wasn't – the first serve wasn't always the weapon that, of course, it was a few years ago. And, you know, for Serena, 6 of 17 on breakpoint chances. I mean, again, how many – they had, the what, the 20-minute deuce game early on? I believe that was in – was that at the start of the second set, start of the third set? It was at the start of one of the sets. I forget which one it was, but – I mean, again, Serena served for the match. She went up for love. It was six all at the turn in the breaker. And it did feel like Serena had captured momentum a couple of times in that third set breaker. But, you know, she overcooks a couple of forehand approaches. I think the one in particular, you know, seven, eight, 
forehand down the line, has the approach, just slightly overcooks it for 9-7. And, you know, again, Harmony Tan, you let her stay alive long enough, she earns the victory. And for Harmony Tan, just her third career victory at a Grand Slam, obviously the biggest win of Harmony Tan's career. And to see the joy in her face, I don't remember if it was her little sister, whomever that was in the box, the joy expressed on her face, the moment, this, again, how special it is for any player to compete against and beat Serena Williams. That moment was not lost on anyone watching the match. And credit to Harmony Tan, who for her career against top 100 opponents, which I think this version of Serena Williams on a grass court certainly is, but in her career, Harmony Tan 7-28 against top 100 opponents in her career. Beat Madison Keys in Guadalajara earlier this season. That's a massive victory certainly for her, but you know, I, I think this one's bigger, and I don't think anyone would argue that fact. And you know, again, Harmony Tan, unfortunately, not going to get any points from this Wimbledon victory, but the confidence she gains and, you know, the physicality with which she plays put three hours on the clock for her second round match against Sarah Cerebez Tormo. Now, if you guys want the diagnosis of Serena Williams, look, her movement was compromised. There's no doubt about that. And it wasn't compromised to the point where she wasn't competitive, but Harmony Tan doesn't have the sort of weapons of not, dare I say, not even a Sabalenka or an Osaka, but the weapons of a Halep or a Krachikova, just how relentlessly they're going to attack the outer thirds. There were a lot of floating balls for Serena Williams to hit cleanly. This was a pretty ideal matchup for her, and she had her chances, but in the end, you just, again, 7-6 in the third, first deciding tiebreak at a slam in Serena's career, and she hasn't played a match in more than in a, in a year. You can expect, you know, again, that lack of callous to show, and I think Serena overcooking forehands, going for the drop shot she did off the Harmony Tan slice in the third set breaker. Those are decisions you just don't make if you have 20 matches under your belt. And again, I, as I have reiterated throughout discussing this, because I don't want to present myself as critical of Serena as I am not, it's just a pleasure to see her back out on the court competing. She did not play her best tennis, certainly. Uh, she was ex- as competitive as she always was, but you know, hopefully we get the chance to continue to see her because if we do continue to see her uh, compete, it's always special. The, the atmosphere is electric and significantly look forward to it. But all credit in the world to Harmony Tan and the 24-year-old, 113 in the world. You look for her, 34 and 28 over her last 52 weeks. You look for her this season has tried to play a significant you know, WTA-centric schedule to make that next jump and, you know, wins around now in both, has won rounds in two out of the last three and three out of the last six majors, made a round of 16 in Monterey and, you know, or beat, made a round of 16 in Guadalajara where she beat Madison Keys, qualified for Indian Wells, qualified as a lucky loser in Miami, but, you know, again, is trying to take the step forward. And 14 and 16, 47% win percentage, that's not going to get you in the top 50. That is going to get you in the top 100 at the WTA level. And that puts you in the slam main draws. And when, when you're winning first round matches in two out of the three slams you play in a year, typically you're going to be top 100. Obviously, exception this year is there are no points offered for Wimbledon. But love the variety of Harmony Tan. It's a fun outlier in what has sometimes become a monotonous game on both the WTA and ATP Tour in terms of playing style. But ultimately, again, Serena's run end by Harmony Tan. Tan a 7-5, 1-6, 7-6 victory, 10-7 
in that deciding breaker. With that said, let's move over to the men's side, break down another one of the goats, one of the Mount Rushmore, certainly of the modern era of regardless men's or women's tennis, Serena's on that Mount Rushmore, I think. We all would agree, 23-time Grand Slam champion and still alive for the calendar slam. Rafael Nadal belongs on that Mount Rushmore as well. Rafa was tested in his first round match today against Francisco Serendolo. Now, ultimately for Rafa, it was a 6-4-6-3-3-6-6-4 victory, but that fourth set was a struggle. And throughout the course of the match, particularly in the third set, Serendolo was able to match and at times exceed the physicality of Rafael Nadal. And that's a credit to Serendolo, who, you know, First of all, shout out to both of these guys. You look at in terms of total distance covered throughout the course of the match, and I will convert here to, uh, of course, feet and miles. Both guys covering over five miles of distance throughout the course of the match. Five miles of sprints in a three and a half hour span. That's brutal on the body. And again, both of these guys within three feet of each other. Serendolo, 28,807 feet. Nadal, 28,810 feet covered in the match. As physical of a grass court match as you're going to see, again, they're covering 112 feet per point. Very rarely in a grass court match do you see a match exceed, either player exceed 100 feet per point in the match. And it was exciting physical tennis. I mean, again, Serendolo's ability, and it's always worth noting, in my opinion, as a sibling, as a brother, I'm going to relate my tennis experience here. I do apologize for that fact. I understand I didn't play at the level that these guys play at, but I had two brothers who were lefties. And to practice every day against the lefty as a righty, you just grow comfortable facing lefties. You grow comfortable with the heaviness of their forehand and you grow accustomed to taking your backhand a little bit earlier, a little bit on the rise or a little bit closer to shoulder height because you are dealing with a lefties ball. I am not trying to compare the ball of Juan Manuel Serendolo to Rafa. Clearly, Serendolo plays a more defensive style of tennis than Rafa does. But Francisco Serendolo's younger brother, Juan Manuel, an ATP title winner, top 100 player in the world, is a lefty. And Francisco Serendolo grew up his entire life facing a lefty in every practice session or just about every practice session that he participated in. And the reason I bring this point up is he looked exceptionally comfortable facing the topspin of Rafa. Of course, Rafa's topspin neutralized as no ball can bounce that high on this surface, but Serendolo was exceptional in finding forehands in the ad side of the court. More than anything else, Serendolo's ability to change direction in this match. I know this is an anecdote's the wrong word. This is a phrase I turn to quite frequently, but I don't think Serendolo hit the ball in the same direction more than two shots in a row consecutively. He was so adept at just keeping Rafa on the move, not allowing Rafa to set his feet because when Rafa's feet are set, where the hell is he going to go with his forehand? Inside in, inside out, one of the all-time mysteries that remains unsolved. Not even Inspector Gadget can figure out where Rafa's going to go when his feet are set on the forehand. And to Serendolo's credit for the the majority of this match, 
he was able to prevent Rafa from doing that comfortably. Now, whenever Rafa landed a first serve, he looked like 2022 Rafael Nadal. Rafa, 69% first serve percentage, won 70% of his first serve points, fought a 14 of the 18 break points that he faced, 23 winners against just 41 unforced errors, but 20 of 28 whenever he moved forward. There was certainly some sloppiness from Rafael Nadal throughout the course of this match. Now, many of those unforced errors caused by the physicality of Sarundalo. Nadal, even in a neutral position, sent the smallest of openings and had to take it because Sarundalo was relentless. But, you know, again, credit to Sarundalo for persisting and maintaining that pressure. I thought he hit the inside-in forehand with particular vigor. I thought he covered after hitting that inside-in forehand when Rafa would go backhand cross. He covered that on-the-run ball and was able to generate pace with his on-the-run forehand exceptionally well. Again, and I've said this since 2020, when or whenever Sarundalo won that ATP title, even after that week, I said, still give me Francisco's upside over Juan Manuel's, and of course, you look for Francisco Sarundalo. It's been a career year, up to a career high, number 42 in the rankings. Much of that based off his run to the semifinals of the Miami Masters, made semifinals in Rio, quarterfinals in Buenos Aires. He won a challenger at the start of the season just to buffer the rankings, qualifies in Rome, and you know, again, disappointing loss certainly to Dan Evans, round one Roland Garros, but now uh, I thought a valiant effort during this grass court season. I thought he played really well, whether it was a first round loss to Tommy Paul, first round loss to Ryan Peniston, in Queen, or second round loss to Peniston, excuse me, in Queens Club. That was both of those losses, three sets. He gets a set here off Rafa. He just has weapons and he has the size. He has the physicality. He's comfortable hitting that backhand on the rise. Did a great job taking that backhand down the line as well, just to keep Rafa honest. I really enjoyed the level Sarundalo played with today and certainly for Francisco helped to make two-thirds of his first serves, which you look for him throughout the course of the season. Francisco Sarundalo, 25 and 17. You know, he's done a good job of landing that first serve, but, you know, is more a guy, you know, clay court guy. A lot of his success comes breaking serve, but Sarundalo did a great job keeping pace with Rafa throughout the course of today, just finding opportunities to be aggressive. Now, in the end, you know, Sarundalo had his chances early in set number four, and you look for Sarundalo. He ends set number four, one of nine on breakpoint chances. You know, has that early break lead at the start of the third set, but uh, fourth set, excuse me. But credit to Rafa, who, as that match was slipping away at the end of set number three, sort of settled down, refocused, you know, got the crowd engaged lessened his errors, focused on his depth, landed more first serves down the home stretch, and Rafa his way out of it. I mean, again, was that the most astute analysis of Rafa? No. Of course, there were times when Rafa did an excellent job of getting Sarundalo stretched so far wide on that backhand wing that whether it was down the line or hitting behind Francisco Sarundalo, there's just nothing he can do because of how poor his court positioning is. I thought Rafa, when his feet were set, again, did a great job changing direction with his plus one forehand. You look for Rafa for the match. Again, an efficient 20 of 28 at the net. Now, that number needs to be higher moving forward, but a lot of that was because Sarandolo did such a good job tracking down that extra ball and because Rafa was a little bit afraid of how athletic Sarandolo was in the corners. And yet, Rafa, despite not playing his best, missed a lot of second serve returns, just wasn't as aggressive on that second serve return as he'll need to be on this surface moving forward. He didn't play his best. He still wins the match. Rafa hasn't played a grass court match since 2019. Of course, that last match was the semifinals of Wimbledon. 
again, Berrettini out with COVID. Devastating development for all of us tennis fans as he was one of the serious contenders not only to beat Nadal but freaking win this 2022 Wimbledon title. Marin Cilic, who has made the finals of a Wimbledon and was a semifinalist at this year's Roland Garros, he's out with COVID as well. They were both in Rafa's half of the draw. And certainly Tsitsipas getting tested in four sets, Kyrgios getting tested in five sets. Who's the clear cut to challenger to Rafa? on the bottom half of the draw. Yeah, we know Novak's on the other side of the draw. Yeah, we know Alcaraz is really freaking good, but are you saying it's Max Cressy who's the biggest threat to Rafa in the bottom half of the draw? Are you saying it's, you know, Taylor Fritz, the biggest threat to Rafa on the bottom half of the draw? Maybe you're going with an RBA, Tsitsipas, Kirio still. They're all going to have to beat up on each other, but the pathway for Rafa to Grand Slam title number three, and I, I hate to say it this way because, again, so unfortunate what happened to Berrettini. And, you know, are they testing every day at Wimbledon? What are the safety precautions? Should we be wary that there are going to be more of these withdrawals coming throughout the course of the fortnight? Absolutely. These are serious questions. We'll continue to discuss throughout the course of the week. From a tennis standpoint, the draw has opened for Rafael Nadal. And it's just, again, for me, this is where it's set in, where it's unbelievable that this guy who, again, is playing with a, a constantly debilitating foot injury, he's 36 years old, he's in play for a calendar slam. Now, again, there are no Russians, there's no Medvedev, there's no Rublev, there's no Hatchnov in that draw. You certainly feel that you can't blame Rafa for that fact. You play the draw that's put in front of you, and the draw put in front of Rafael Nadal is advantageous moving forward. Again, credit to Francisco Sarundolo gave Rafa a Pretty much the best physical challenge Rafa could hope for uh, in his first round match. A physical but controlled four-set victory for Rafa as he finds his grass court bearings. He advances to round number two where now a date with Ricardus Barrancas awaits. Barrancas straight set victory over Sam Query was a disappointing performance from the American. And again, Barrancas 5'7", 5'8". You feel like the sort of match where Rafa may feast even on this surface with the height of his ball. But... With that said, those are two, again, headline performances on day two. I want to run through so many other results on the day, 70-plus singles matches, and as much as it would be great to go through the stats for all of them, you know, I'll go through the stats for some, but going to try and run more briefly through all these matches so again you guys get a look at the big picture results what are the storylines you need to be aware of who looked good who didn't who survived so that when you're at the water jug tomorrow because who in their office isn't at the water jug talking about tennis I know in my job prior to being full-time at Cracked Rackets I frequently discuss tennis you know you're sitting there you've filed your reports for the day Larry comes up to the jug and you say Larry did you watch Rafa yesterday guy almost got beaten how about that Francisco Sarundolo and then Larry unexpectedly goes what about his brother man Juan Manuel are you team Francisco team Juan Manuel you want to be prepared for that conversation which happens at water coolers across the country or what if Denise comes up to you and as she's asking for her stapler she says hey you know as much as I enjoyed Harmony Tan's performance over Serena Williams yesterday. Don't you think her matchup with Sarah Cerebos-Tormo is going to go at least three hours? And, you know, by the way, 
How about Casper Ruud versus Ugo Umber tomorrow? Is Ruud good on grass courts? Umber has struggled mightily since August 2020, 40 and 44 overall. You know, what do you think, uh, Doug, uh, that Ugo Umber, has he got a shot against Casper Ruud? Is it time to start taking Casper Ruud as a serious contender? These are the questions we want you to be prepared for here at Cracked Rackets. And so with that said, let's get into the day's other notable results. Let's start with the rise of... Of Maxime Cressy. And of course, if you've been a frequent mini break podcast listener, you've heard us talk at length about Maxime Cressy's story. He was the last man on the bench at UCLA his freshman season. Of course, always had that six four, six foot five now maybe even six foot six frame and always had the ability to spike the serve, but developing the serve and volley discipline, developing the quickness at the net to be able to read where the passing shot's going to go to be able to play a little bit of offensive, defensive offense while at the net. And, you know, again, improving the return of serve, working on the chip so that he can charge effectively behind that ball. All of that took time. All of that took rigorous work from you know, again, Billy Martin, Rickus DeVillers, Grant Chen, the entire support staff at UCLA to the point where Max Cressy lost one singles match, was an All-American his senior season, wins the NCAA doubles title, and is now a top 50 player in the world and earns another signature victory on his cap with a four-set victory over Felix Ogier, Aliasim Cressy, 6-7-6-4-7-6-7-6 to knock off the sixth-seeded Canadian. I mean, you look for Cressy just in the grass court season. Went three sets with Hercots and Hala first round. Of course, Hercots goes on to win the title. But then the next week, Eastbourne beats Draper, Nori, Evans, Opelka before a 7-6 in the third loss to Taylor Fritz. You look for Max Cressy here throughout the course of his grass court matches. Again, he is now on the grass courts, and I'll include his Stuttgart first round loss to Dom Stricker. He's played what now? A grand total of four plus six is 10 total matches. Uh, in general, he's been broken eight total times in the 10 matches he's played. Was broken once today in his victory over Felix. And the word that comes to mind when I think about Max Cressy now is just relentless. He is relentless in his game style. You look for Max Cressy on the day. He landed 112 serves on the court, 77 first serves, 35 second serves on the day. He So again, 112 points on serve. He went to the net 134 times throughout the course of the match. And, of course, whether it be on his own serve, whether it be the chip and charge tactics on the return, just the relentlessness of his aggression, it wears you down. You could see mounting frustration for Felix, particularly. Start of the fourth set was, I believe, 2-1, 30-15 Max Cressy. Or, excuse me, 2-all, 30-15 Max Cressy. Cressy had just hit a shank stick volley for a winner uh, behind a— a shaky approach shot. Felix hit a good pass. You know, you know. again, Cressy just gets the tip of his racket on it to ultimately hit the winner. And on the very next point, Felix just unloads a backhand directly at the body of Max Cressy. Hits it Mach 45. There was not a single ounce of topspin on that ball. It was pure frustration. And again, 
The relentlessness of Cressy goes to the net 134 times, 95 of 134 at the net, a 71% win percentage. She hit 18 aces, 77 of 97 on first serve points, made 63% of his first serves, won 63% of his second serve points. Again, was not broken today. Excuse me, was not broken today in his matchup against Felix has been broken now, so I was incorrect. Seven total times in 10 matches on the grass courts. Was not broken today. Seven total breaks in 10 matches. That's a clinic, folks. You look for Maxime Cressy now after not being broken today. Cressy overall here in 2022. And, you know, he's played exclusively tour-level matches outside of one round, one challenger loss in Lugano earlier this season. He's holding serve 88.9% of the time. Obviously, after not being broken in, what, 24 service games today, that number is going to be over 89% on the season. It's against an exclusively ATP uh, level field. And while you look for Max Cressy this season in terms of opponents ranked outside the top 50, Cressy's played 24 of them. He's 13 and 11 against those opponents ranked outside the top 50. His hold percentage actually dips to 88.5 against non-top 50 opponents. He's 10 and 7 against the top 50, holding 89.4% of the time. The point is that level on serve translates. I think that 89.4% can be compared against the rest of the top 50. And an 89.4% hold percentage would rank fifth above Matteo Berrettini, right behind Hubi Hurkacz here in the 2022 season. That's how good Maxime Cressy has been on serve. Now, his break percentage, 11% against top 50 opponents, and perhaps more accordingly, that break percentage rises to 16.5% when he's playing players ranked outside the top 50. An elite serve gives Max Cressy troubles. Again, he only broke serve once today against Felix. Typically, that's not going to get the job done. But on this surface, you're rewarded for being exceptional on serve. Again, that strength maximized on these grass courts. And you look for Maxime Cressy now. What a ridiculous season it has been. 23 and 18 makes that final in Melbourne, makes the round of 16 at the Australian Open after struggling throughout the course of the clay court season, five and seven overall. He regains his footing here on the grass court, seven and three. And again, his losses, Hercots, six, four in the third, Fritz, seven, six in the third, and a 7-6 in the third match to Dom Stricker, the rising young star in which he was broken once throughout the course of the match. Cressy has been that exceptional. You look in the ATP live rankings again, Maxime Cressy currently sitting at number 41 overall. A guy who rode the bench his freshman year of college, 41 overall in the world. Of course, Maxime Cressy, also exceptionally young, still just 25 years old. He's currently uh, sitting at 32 in the points race. I, I, I mean, again, what what's so exceptional, I mentioned the relentlessness, his just willingness and unwavering confidence in moving forward. He's also just more mobile than you expect. And, you know, to get the early mini break 2-1 in, in both the sec, uh, third and fourth set breakers and both of those early mini breaks ultimately evaporated, but it was on the run passing shots, dipping the ball at the feet of Felix 
uh, Ogier Aliasim, who, you know, again, he feels like he has to approach whenever possible because if you leave a neutral ball, Cressy's chip and charging, and you just get worn down over the course of four hours, as this match was, four hours, ten minutes, having to deal with a freaking chip and charge at your feet the entire time, having no ripple, uh, rhythm, not being able to grind and play the physical tennis that, in my opinion, makes this sport such a joy to play. You don't get any of that rhythm when you play a Max Cressy, and on this surface, that lack of rhythm, that game style is rewarded. And so credit to Max Cressy again. Another win for him at the Slam. Beat Carreno Boost at last year's U.S. Open. Made round of 16 in Australia this year. Now beats Felix first round of Wimbledon. The draw wide open for Cressy now. He's got Jack Sock in round two. Would face the winner of Novak Kubler in round three. Max Cressy. Max f***ing Cressy might make two round of 16s this season at the slams to those of you who are college tennis fans and i know not all of you are here on the mini break podcast so i apologize for going a bit off course here but if you knew max cressy in his college years you would understand how outrageous the success he's having this season is two round of 16s you know nori hasn't done that yet this season mackie hasn't done that in his career garone hasn't done that in his career where they've made two round of 16s in the same season those guys were ncaa singles champions coming out of that same school again you know, Ty Kwiatkowski, NCAA singles champion, three-time team champion at Virginia. He hasn't cracked the top 100. It's just like the list of guys. Nuno has never done what Maxime Cressy is doing. It's outrageous. It's unbelievable. It's one of the stories of the season. Credit to Max Cressy. Such a joy to watch as well. His serve and volleying, it's just not the same as John Isner. It's just it's if anything, it's kind of more realistic, right? Because he's six foot six, he's not six ten, seven foot. So again, there's still a little baseline action. There's creativity. There's his relentlessness, his positivity, the energy with which he plays. Again, the relentlessness. I keep coming back to that word. He's a joy to watch, and it was extraordinarily fun watching him play Felix. I think watching him play Jack Sox is going to be just as fun as well. Hell of a win for Max Cressy to advance to another second round at a major. Again, that was too long on that match. I'll try to be briefer here so we can touch more matches moving forward. In reality, I'm going to record for as long as I end up recording too. I don't know why I throw these prefaces into the podcast. You listeners know I'm just lying to you when I do. But let's move back to the women's side now. and Let's talk about Coco Goff, who didn't look her best, but again, survives another first round at Wimbledon. 3-0 in her career at this event in the first round. Coco Goff ultimately a 2-6-6-3-7-5 win over Elena Gabriela Russa. I mean, it starts with the serve for Coco Goff. Just struggled to land first serves throughout the course of this match. Won 72% of her first serve points when she did, but only landed 53% of her first serve points. Now, again, we're still having success behind the serve and that serve was the biggest weapon on the court it allowed her to play the plus one tennis she wanted to play it allowed her to be the aggressor on that backhand wing it allowed her opportunities afforded her excuse me opportunities to move forward of course the number will all turn to coco golf four of 25 on breakpoint chances her rhythm was just off today on the return of serve and again rusa made 49 percent of her first serves she double faulted 10 times in this match Goff had 7 million chances 
throughout the course of this match to open up the scoreboard, even trailing throughout the course of set number one, you know, again, had a million chances to level that match or work her way back into the set. Sets number two and three, six, three, seven, five, a testament to the relentlessness of Rusa, who 21 winners against 56 unforced errors don't do justice to how willing she was to extend points physically. But credit to Goff, who stayed positive and stayed relentless, you know, 7 of 10 at the net. Rusa was providing plenty of the unforced errors if Goff was willing to be patient from the baseline. The key for Goff, you know, eight double faults for her on serve today. Again, only made 53% of her first serves. That first serve is an absolute weapon for Goff. It's, you know, what allows her to have the success she has on grass courts in her career. You look for Coco Goff, 14 and 4 in her career on the surface, of course, made the semifinals in Berlin, beating Pliskova, beating Ann Lee before getting nine knocked out 6-2 and two by Own Jabour a couple of weeks ago. Look, it, it, it certainly wasn't her best tennis, but coming off of a finals appearance at Roland Garros, the nerves of being back at a place where she made her breakthrough back in 2019 and obviously followed up with a round of 16 last season. Wimbledon is a place that has given Coco Goff, or has been a place, I shouldn't say has given, but has been a place, has been the scene there's the word I was looking for, for much of her success, early successes, valuable successes throughout the course of her career. As such, you can understand the nerves for Goff coming in as, you know, her highest career ranking, number 12 in the world, number 11 seed, and currently number three in the points race. And look, uh, she didn't play her best tennis. Certainly, again, the return of serve, it felt like she mistimed too many second serves to count and, you know, just wasn't able to play the the fr- with the free aggression she usually does. But credit to Rusa, who, again, was able to extend matches physically. Her winner to unforced error ratio doesn't do her justice throughout the course of this match. Just didn't have a weapon to really hurt Goff with consistently. And as such, the errors piled up because Rusa had to press. Goff is too tough of an out physically. Her floor on this surface, that's what I think makes her such a dangerous opponent at Wimbledon. She doesn't have to play her best as she didn't today, and she can still, whether it be finding first serves when she needs to or, again, relying on her physicality. She just has different ways to win on this surface, which is so valuable. Uh, so credit to Coco Goff, who survives today here on day number two. And, you know, again, ditto for Petra Kvitova, a survivor here on day two, Kvitova coming off of a title run last week. Of course, Kvitova two-time Wimbledon champion. She survives 2-6-6-4-6-2, the 25-seed advancing over Jasmine Paolini. I mentioned on Sunday's mini-break podcast recapping last weekend's championship action for Kvitova. She made two-thirds of her first serves, was winning over 75% of her first serve points, over 60% of her second serve points, was you know hitting aces on 10% of her first serves. Those all would have ranked number one on the WTA Tour this season. The serve was not there for Petra Kvitova today. She made you know only 49% of her first serves, hit 10 double faults throughout the course of this match, yet again, got a little bit better as the match progressed. Went from a 46% first serve percentage in set number one to 55% in set number two. And while the serve percentage dipped again in set number three, she seemed to have found her rhythms with the three-quarters pace serve on the second serve. That opened up everything else she 
she wanted to do. And to her credit, you know, she went 22 of 41 on second serve points, but 10 of those losses were on double faults. I thought the wind, and it was a little bit windy early on in Wimbledon, threw off Kvitova's rhythm. You know, 18 winners against 37 unforced errors. Again, Kvitova was just a bit off, and you can understand why. She played so much tennis last week in Eastbourne, and, you know, was just in the zone against Ostapenko, against Haddad Maya. You take any days off after being in that zone, there's going to be a natural drop-off. And it started with the serve for her today, and yet she still manages to survive. You look for Petra Kvitova going to face Anna Bogdan now, who won't have the sort, you know, again, doesn't have those sort of relentless weapons to continuously stress Petra Kvitova. Now, looking beyond that match, Paula Bedosa looking as good as she did in round one today against Luisa Chirico. Uh, that's certainly notable because the physicality of Bedosa, that's a fun contrast to, again, the power tennis Kvitova likes to play, but it was a poor serving performance and Kvitova ends up surviving. And ultimately, that's what contenders need to do early in week number one. That's precisely what Kvitova does as she ultimately advances. Now, again, I do want to look at two more matches quickly on the men's side. And, you know, as we begin to jump around a bit here, you look uh, on the men's side. I want to make a point to say Denis Shapovalov played well today because Shapovalov had lost six consecutive matches, hadn't won a match uh, since beating Rafael Nadal during the clay court season. And despite the fact that Shapovalov was pushed two five sets today by Arthur Rinderkanesh, was down two sets to love in that match, uh, two sets to one, excuse me, in that matchup. I thought Shapovalov played pretty well today. He was only broken once on serve. He only made 53% of his first serves, and that's definitely a sign of concern. But he won 86% of his first serve points, 58 winners against 40 unforced errors, 12 of 18 at the net. Anytime he got a look at a Rinder Kanesh second serve, he took advantage. And, you know, Rinder Kanesh winning only 45% of his second serve points. Uh, again, Shapovalov broke 7 of 15 times and just – looked so comfortable physically, you know, seemed to have found a rhythm behind his serve despite struggling to make that first serve and just has that sort of explosiveness, has that sort of athleticism that thrives on this surface. He's also at his best when he is moving forward, being the the, the aggressor in this surface forces him to do so. There's no playing around with his food, right? Just the ability to do that much more difficult on a grass court. I thought his focus from start to finish was what impressed me the most. Even after dropping, you know, he goes down a 2-1 break of serve in that fourth set. So he drops second set and third set breakers. He's down two sets to one and down 2-1 a break of serve in the second set. And that woke Shapovalov up, and he immediately breaks Rinder Kanesh back, landing a couple of returns, not necessarily on the line, but just deep on the at the feet of Rinder Kanesh, which afforded Shapovalov either gave him an error or allowed him to attack on the next ball. And just again, the discipline from there on in from Shapovalov, who quickly races out to a break lead in that fourth set and then quickly out to a break lead in the fifth as well. He just wore Rinder Kanesh down throughout the course of this match and his weapons stood out to me. So always nice to see Denis Shapovalov have a resurgent performance. Certainly Shapovalov, uh, again, losing those Wimbledon semifinal points, not winning a match in the grass court warm-up events. Although you look at his losses, Ota 7-6, 7-6, 
Tommy Paul in three sets, Benjamin Bonzi in straights, all those guys still alive at Wimbledon after the first round, and none of them disqualifying losses. So certainly for Denis Shapovalov, he's had his struggles throughout the course of this season, just 17 and 14 overall on the year. And, you know, certainly when you look for him in first matches, disappointing to see him seven and seven in first matches on the season. But you continue to look for Denis Shapovalov on grass courts in his career. He's always been effective on this surface. The semifinal from last year, of course, standing out before Shapovalov, 17 and 17 overall, and considering he's just 23 years old, not too shabby uh, for the 23-year-old. With that said, he was an impressive men's seed on day number two, someone who was a little bit less impressive but managed to survive, Stefano Tsitsipas, who ultimately earns a four-set victory over over Alex Richard. Now, credit to Richard throughout the course of this match. I thought Richard did an excellent job just, again, going for broke with his ground strokes and, you know, playing big, being assertive, trying to play plus one tennis and just play on his terms, moved forward, I thought, exceptionally well throughout the course of this match. And, you know, you look at the stats for the match, Richard, 39 to 56 overall, 170, uh, 68% of his first serve points. But, I mean, look, Tsitsipas was bad today. 44 winners against 40 unforced errors don't do him justice. He was sloppy on the return of serve, sloppy with his plus one. 32 of 45 at the net was good, not great moving forward. But the first serve, the plus one tennis he's able to play, it's just now at an elite level on this grass court surface. And certainly that's something we saw from him last week when he won his first grass court title in Hamburg, carries that over, earns the success here. Again, first round victory in four sets. I thought that was notable on the day. But with all of that said, let's start our run through as we look through the upsets, the matches that went the distance, and of course, the other seeds that stood out on day number two. When you look at at the upsets, another four seeds knocked out in the women's ma- uh, event. As you look again, four seeds knocked out on the day. Alia Tomjanovic, quarterfinalist last season, does confirm to the grass court world she means business. 6 2 6 3 victory over number 18th seed Jill Teichman. That's just a nice, again, steady win for Tomjanovic, who played the part, just again, can play physical tennis on the surface, looks extraordinarily comfortable. Upset victory that you felt the most on the day, probably Magdalena Freak, who knocks out the always dangerous on a grass court and has made multiple second weeks at Wimbledon. Camilla Georgie, 7-6-6-1, was a tightly fought first set. And then, you know, again, Georgie went a little away a bit in the second. And certainly given the openness of this draw, that's a disappointment for Georgie, who is always thrown on the surface, played pretty well in the grass court lead-up events to this tournament. But... Good win for Magdalena Freak. Again, 6-1. and one. She advances. You also had Alize Cornet pulling off an expected upside over Yulia Putin. Save a 3-6 for Cornet. Petra Martic backhand slicing Shelby Rogers to death. 6-2-7-6 overall. So again, eight women seeds knocked out so far in the tournament. There's that coffee talk for you again. Eight women seeds. Put that in your brain. Collins. Teichman, Georgie, Trevisan, Putinseva, Rogers, Haddad, Maya, Kanepi. You probably feel the Haddad, Maya loss more than anything else. On the men's side, you had four upsets. The aforementioned Cressy over Felix in four sets. You had Grigor Dimitrov forced to retire, unfortunately, due to injury against Steve Johnson. That match was in the second set when the injury occurred. Marcos Giron, an upset in name only. 
Odds makers had him favorited. He'd had a track record of more grass court success than Holger Runa for Giron. Straight set victory over Runa. Awfully impressive. Giron has held steady in the top 70. And hey, three years consecutively, ATP top 75, you qualify for that pension moving forward. Garone has put himself in position to do that. Had double hip surgery, you know, so many different injuries early in his career, but, you know, again, has lived up to the promise he showed not only as an exceptional junior in the U.S., but as a national champion in college as well. How about Jason Kubler? Little Rock Challenger winner, wins, uh, makes the final of the Orlando Challenger the next week, qualifies through Wimbledon rather unscathed, and dominates Dan Evans today. 6-1-6-4-6-3 victory for Kubler. Kubler's playing the best tennis of his career. There's no doubt about it. And if you look right now in the ATP live rankings, no, there won't be points rewarded for Kubler right now, but he's up to number 98. The number uh, the twenty nine year old that's seven off his career high of number ninety one. You look for Kubler in the points race currently ninety seven. Again, he's been a top one hundred player this season in exceptional form. Dan Evans blinked. You know, again, I was shocked when I saw that six one stat uh, first set in particular. And you look for Evans made just fifty one percent of his first serves today. Kubler made him pay. For that fact, Kubler could match Evans' physicality, wasn't dissuaded by the creativity, the junk Evans threw at him. Hell of an upset victory for Kubler to ultimately advance to the second round again. The other upset you felt most, Matteo Berrettini, who I had as a finalist at this year's Wimbledon. I legitimately thought was one of the three players in tier one, him, Nadal, Djokovic, who could realistically win this tournament out due to COVID. Devastating. Again, a stark reminder, we are still amidst the pandemic. If you haven't already, get vaccinated. Uh, Obviously, be safe. You know, keep that in mind, what you're doing. Uh, Obviously, go about your day, but just always keep in mind, continue to wash your hands, continue to do the little things you can uh, to try to have this, again, coronavirus be dissipated. Um, Unfortunately, again, Berrettini test positive. He's out of the tournament. That bottom half of the draw completely wide open now. But those were your upsets uh, through the first day. And again, eight seeds eliminated on the women's side. Six seeds now. Eight seeds total if you include Berrettini and Chilich eliminated on the men's side. With that said, let's move on to the matches that went the distance on day number two. You had seven of them on the women's side. The aforementioned Goff, Kvitova, and Tan victories. Of course, you also had Marta Kostyuk. I thought an impressive victory. 4-6-6-4-6-4 over Katie Swan. Swan, of course, the home country favorite. Continue to put pressure on Kostyuk, but look, there are five to ten minutes in every match where you watch Kostyuk and you think she should be top five, top ten in the world someday. Her combination of athleticism and skills, movement, power, just can do a little bit of everything. Bianca Andreescu, light, certainly, when you watch Marta Kostyuk. And uh, to advance, you, you take the wins where you can get them. She gets the victory here, 4-6-6-4-6-4. You also had three set wins from Schmidlova, uh, Kirkov, and Tomova, all advancing to round number two. On the men's side, a bunch of matches, seven of them, going five sets on day number two. You had... Shapovalov with his five-set win. Lorenzo Sinego, a five-set victory over Dennis Kudla. Shame both guys round of 16 potential at this tournament. As I mentioned yesterday, that they had to play round 
a one devastating. Look, Sinego's an athlete. His serve, his forehand weapons, he's comfortable playing the slice, just puts you in com- uncomfortable positions quick enough and great first step moving forward. He's dangerous. Uh, certainly in this tournament, you look for Lorenzo Sinego by getting through this matchup again against Dennis Kudla in the draw now. Sinego, interesting opportunity for him. We'll play the lefty, tricky lefty Gaston next. Then would be a potential Nadal opponent. I mean, again, with his backhand deficiencies, you feel like Rafa would break him down on another surface, but on a grass court, interesting. Just an interesting matchup uh, to keep in mind. But again, five-set victory for Sanego over Dennis Kudla. You look at the other five-set victors. Nick Kyrgios got pushed by 2019 NCAA singles champion Paul Jubb. Ultimately, though, Kyrgios 7-5 in the third set. He takes it. You know, uh, again, there's some issues between Nick and the crowd, as always. But when Kyrgios, after losing that first set, Kyrgios turned it on in set number two, was in cruise control on serve throughout the course of the match. And, you know, again, with the draw opening up the way it has that potential third-round blockbuster, Kyrgios Tsitsipas, we all have circled on our men's calendar right now. Of course, shout-out to Liam Brody, five-set win in front of the home crowd over Lucas Klein, Gaston, Gasquet, and Grenier, all winners as well. Shout-out to the French. They've done great in the five-set matches. Gasquet, Umber, again, five-set winners yesterday. Uh, all these guys continuing to – or not Gasquet, excuse me, Umber, and I'm blanking on who the other was, but five-set winners yesterday. Uh, Shout out to the Frenchman. They're rocking and rolling, I suppose, at this tournament. Now, with all of that said, let's look at the other day two results, get into some of the top seeds here and, you know, talk about some of the matches that remain incomplete. If you listen to our GSP ace of the day going into day three, I place a futures bet on Iga Sviantek to win the tournament. She looked like Iga against uh, against her opponent, Fett, today. I don't know what else to say. Six love, six three, another bagel for Sviantek this season. And, you know, again, her ground strokes are just overwhelming. When she can set her feet, you're just in trouble because you have no idea where she's going to go with the ball and the power pace she generates. It's just really hard to deal with it on this surface. The return of serve uh, continues to be effective. The first serve continues to be a weapon. She can play plus one. She can move forward. She's comfortable moving, comfortable enough moving on this surface can, you know, again, get in and out of the outer thirds of the court. Still better than anyone else comparatively. She's that sort of athlete. She just looks like Iga Sviantek. 36 consecutive victory, 6-love, six 6-3 six win. Shout out to Paula Bedosa. Looked as healthy as I've seen in a while. 6-2, Just not much Luisa Chirico could do to hurt her. Uh, ditto for some of the other top seeds who advanced. Sakari, Ostapenko, I thought, Anisimova, I thought all looked excellent in their victories. Just, again, did all the things they all do well for Ostapenko and Isamova, their physicality, uh, their power tennis for Sakari, her physicality. Tough fought, six and five win for Rabakina, who's just, again, been struggling with her forms, looking for her wins in a tight fought fashion. Uh, she gets it. Good win for Jung Shui, 4 0 win over Masaki Doi. But your win of the day for the seed, Simona Halep, 6 3 6 2 for the 16th seed over uh, a former Wimbledon quarterfinalist in Carolina Mukova. There Again, Mukova was able to play plus one tennis. She was able to hit her forehand big on the rise and be unpredictable, move forward. It didn't matter. Halep was just in the zone. 
physically, generating incredible depth and pace in the outer thirds of the court, able to play defense in ways, again, just so few can on this surface and turn that defense into offense. Boy, if Halep can stay this healthy through the tournament, she can 1,000% win this damn thing. Straight set victory for her over Mukova. Your other straight set winners on the day, Bianca Andreescu, strong start to her Wimbledon campaign, 1-3 and three win over Amina Bactis. Shout out uh, to Jung Chin Wen. Six and five went over Sloan Stevens. Uh, Jung Chin Wen was down a break, five three, I believe, in that second set. But her power tennis, it's just going to work everywhere. Straight set victory for her. Bolter, Lou, Golubic, other names to keep in mind uh, as they all earn definitive straight set victories. And then certainly Kutsova, Bara, Bogdan, Flipkins, Davis, Vic, Meyer, Buznarescu. Shout out to them as they earn wins on the day. Catherine Harrison. Never played a main draw match. Now reaches the second draw round at Wimbledon. Again, wasn't, I mean, was a top player in the country during her time at UCLA. But shout out college tennis continues to provide a pathway to the pros. Of course, on the men's side, you had Stefano Tsitsipas uh, and Nadal earning the four set victories that they did. Some of the other seeds to look comfortable. Taylor Fritz, just again, Nothing Lorenzo Musetti could do to hurt him. Four, four, and three. Fritz is plus one tennis in that elite category on this surface. Fun match between Schwartzman and Kozlov. Three, two, and two. Big scoreline, but that was a more physical match than you would expect. RBA cruising 1-0-3. He's the sneaky dark horse no one's talking about as a contender to win this freaking title if something goes awry for the top two seeds. Demon Hour looked great. Vendison Skulp handles Feliciano Lopez with Eads. Krajinovic, Baez both looked impressive in their victories as well. But how about Jensen Brooksby? Hasn't earned many wins over the past couple of months. Straight set victory over Kukushkin. Won't get the points, but much needed for his confidence heading into obviously a crucial summer for his ranking your other winners on the day on the men's side straight set winner jack draper lefty's just going to be a problem on this surface straight set win for the 20 year old over zizu bergs alistair gray shout out tcu men's tennis straight set win for her over jason sung uh mackie mcdonald straight set win over nuno borges jack sock a straight set win you also had guys like bonzi and peniston continuing their pre-tournament form as they each earn straight set wins and then daniel galan ricardis barancas jordan thompson your other straight set winner shout out to david gofan a lot of people thought he was too injured coming into this wimbledon straight set win over elbot to quiet some of those doubters your four set winners on the day Rusevori, Nakashima, Novak, and Molkan. Of course, your matches to be concluded. Carolina Pliskova, 7-6-5 all. She currently leads Teresa Martinsova, has served particularly well, in my opinion, today, even if some of the other things haven't clicked. And then Hreet Minin, 6-4 first set over the continuing to struggle Garbine Muguruza. That match can be fascinating to watch tomorrow. Of course, Belinda Bencic, by the way, drops her match in three sets uh, as a result of yesterday. Oh, I didn't throw her in the upsets in the seeds. She loses her three-set match, so Bencic has to be on this list moving forward as well. I suppose that was a continuation from yesterday. Must have missed it. Uh, shout out to Wang Chung on her victory, but a couple of matches that have yet to start. Pagula Vekic, Dart Mara- uh, Masaro Two first-round matches pushed to day number two. But with that in mind, let's do it again, folks. My favorite matches of day number uh, three. You know, what was the song? And I Because we didn't really do 
different songs maybe it's just the culture but these are a few of my favorite things Radakanu Garcia and Shway and Kostiuk Buzkova Lee Isner and his pal Murray I'm not going to do the rest of it I'm sorry Westoff you can leave it in I apologize hopefully all of you turned down your volume there but my favorite matches on the women's side and I won't lie to you listeners I have a slight preference for the men's matches tomorrow I just think you know again I'm not sure what to feel. You know, like, again, a Conteve Niemeyer. I'm not sure how I feel about Conteve. I know how I feel about the rising young German in Niemeyer. That has upset potential, but I'm just not sure what the level's going to be. You know, Tralinska has been excellent, the young Pole, but taking on Ali Risk, that's a different sort of test. Buskova Lee is going to be delightful. You know, Kostyuk versus Jung Shui is going to be fun. And then Radakanu Garcia is just damn good no matter what way you slice it, particularly given Garcia's title win last week just to add juice to this matchup. But a lot of fun on the men's side tomorrow. You've got Isner Murray, obviously Murray 8-0 in his career against Isner in front of the home crowd. Second week seems very much in the cards as a possibility for Andy Murray. God willing, we'll get to see him play Novak Djokovic at this event. Of course, Djokovic, tough matchup himself in the always dangerous big match player, the cock, Tanasi Kokonakis. Rude Umber, Umber 2-1 against Rude. That was my Patreon match of the day. If you'd like to hear more about the breakdown, I did 30 minutes on the match for our Patreon subscribers, but Umber's got a shot. This is his best surface to snap the funk he's been in this season, falling out of the top 100. If it's ever going to get started for him, it's got to be on this surface against this Casper Root, who with a win can say, hey, no, I'm a real contender at this Wimbledon. Of course, Paul Manorino, Manorino, the veteran's veteran, a litmus test to getting to the second round here at Wimbledon. Of course, Tommy Paul, two quarterfinals in the lead up to this Wimbledon. He's played great tennis. That's a fun match. Sinner Emer's going to be fun. Elkaraz, Greek Spore, Opelka, Van Reithoven, Baez, Gofen. It's going to be a good day three. And of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of the action in case you aren't able to tune into all of the fun. Of course, if you're looking for predictions each and every day, Great Shot Podcast feed is for you. We've got you covered with our Ace of the Day segment. All of that content available on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. A shout-out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.